Hey, fellow heroes, this is Arish Rivers, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Ad Hero Podcast. We've got some awesome stuff for you ahead. But before we dive in, I want to address a quick question we've been getting a lot, and it's actually how to start your own podcast. So where we started was with Anchor. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me break it down really fast. It's free. The creation tools that are inherent to the platform allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will handle the distribution so your podcast gets heard on Apple, uh, Spotify, on Google, lots of different places. And then if you want to monetize your podcast, you can actually make money from it with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to get started with Anchor, just download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Super simple, free, everything you need. So hopefully that sums it up for you guys. But with that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into the awesome stuff we have planned for you today. And uh, again, thank you for tuning in to the Ad Hero Podcast. Let's go for it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ad Hero Podcast, a podcast that focuses on marketing tips, trends, and techniques for marketers and advertisers by industry experts, influencers, and insiders. Follow along with us on social media at handle adsemble. That's A-D-S-E-M-B-L-E. Also, join our Ad Hero community on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Ad Hero. And welcome to another episode of the Ad Hero Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Eris Rivers. And I'm Gio Giovanni. Right on. And we're here with Brett Hansen of Kickslam Marketing. Say what's up, Brett. Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? Uh, Not too much. Um, Before we hopped on the microphone, you were telling me a little bit about the nostalgia thing. Um, And I mentioned I wanted to get a ColecoVision. I, have no, I mean, I see. I don't know. I really don't want to do get one. Gino, did you ever have like like one of the old school systems? That sounds familiar, but I just don't know what you're talking about. No, you never. <laughs> Explain yourself. Explain. All right, let's let's update it a little bit more. I, I like some of my earliest memories of video games were the Sega Master System. Oh yeah. And I had like some video game where uh, it was just like that crappy motorcycle game with like the palm trees out in the background, and and your. Uh, you're just going along the track, but there was there weren't even obstacles. It was just stay on the track, don't don't fucking crash. That's right. So. <laughs> That's right. That's the good stuff. I had a family con game like that. I was too. a Nintendo guy, so I remember Excite Bike, and there was yes. Excite Bike. Yes, like you just like go up and down, and like it was just awful. It's terrible. But see, I had I used to live in Japan for three and a half years, and during that time span, I had a game that was a like Excite Bike, but it came with an inflatable motorcycle with a plastic what? steering wheel, and you actually can play like you're in an arcade at home. It was awesome. Dude, that's because you were in Japan. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's not even fair. I still that have sounds it. Like, it sounds incredible. I still have it. Yeah, 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 it was good. <laughs> not fair. No, it's not. It's not. That's, you know, have you seen that stuff now? Uh, nowadays where, and they marketed like this whole thing to uh, kind of like the people who are really serious about their driving games. And here I am with a controller and, you know, hitting buttons and losing. 
and you got the guy sat in his chair and he's got the steering wheel and he's got even a gear shift for this thing. And I'm like, oh, geez, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll tell you what, though. I mean, like, you know, I think that like kind of mid thirties, like gaming, like gaming really took off. I'm, I'm 34 years old and it seems like that market is still going really strong. You know, that gaming market, we still have a lot of old gamers and like those guys have been a good market for a long time. Oh, it just got legitimized with that kid. Um, I should know his name. I, I feel bad for not knowing that. I didn't look it up. Um, but he just got an apparel deal with Adidas for the next four years. He's a Fortnite uh, oh, player. Winner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Why, yeah. why not? Seriously, we grew up being told that uh, video games are going to rot our brains and we're never going to amount to anything if that was all we did. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie The Wizard? The that Wizard? Kid, <laughs> that kid won in 1989. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'll tell you, I'm not much of a video game person myself. I mean, like, my parents bought me a Nintendo, but we were talking about kind of that nostalgia, and it's interesting. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, and, you know, some of the nostalgic things, I often wonder how they correlate with others' nostalgia. You know, like, regional, culturally, like, we have a lot of weird kind of nostalgia up here. You know, like, we have a very big hobby, like, classic cars market. We have a big baseball card market, and it seems like it's really centered in the Midwest. And I'm kind of curious, you know, what are some of those on the West Coast that are different? Oh, you know, out here? Um... Well, they definitely like cars, but, yeah, it's a different culture from the Midwest. I mean, I, I've, I've been totally. only a couple times in the Midwest, but I never got to really experience it other than, like, a snowstorm. <laughs> right. <laughs> in an airport. You need, uh, that's, that you need to legitimize it with the snow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I would say that, uh, man, out here, what, what are people really into? I mean, there's always the wine snobs, especially in this area. You know, it's but so eclectic. It's like... You have, I mean, you can go to San Francisco and there's right. by like 800 different types of cultures there. Right. And then, and then the Bay Area all, all together. Yeah. Just like you said, wine, there's sports, there's people mm -hmm. in just tech. You know, I mean, it's a niche for any, you can find anything out here. You know what? Actually, we're 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 really into the um, like the Japanese influence when it comes to toys and stuff like Bandai. Yeah, and, and that, yeah. And that whole thing is out here. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge thing of that. But um, you mentioned how you know there's just that niche out there. I definitely want to dive in. But before we do, uh, for our listeners, uh, Brett, you and I have talked in the past. Um, but you know, for anyone who's listening, they're just getting to meet you for the first time, presumably. So if you wouldn't mind telling everybody. Kind of who you are, where you're from, what you do, what, uh, what what are your plans for world domination? Right. Well, I won't tell you all of world domination. I'll tell you a little piece of it. <laughs> I don't want to give away the good stuff. That's the secret stuff. I can't give away the ingredients, but I'll give you some good stuff. So uh, I've been living in the Midwest for a while now, but I moved around the last 12 years with my wife, uh, mostly in marketing positions for big corporate. So I worked for uh, Cabela's, which was bought out by Bass Pro. Big niche kind of outdoor retailer. Uh, worked at an agency. We handled Sears, Kmart, Walmart, a lot of big brands. So, you know, I've had a lot of big box experience. And over the last 10 years, I've kind of jumped jobs. I was kind of the the all-in kind of digital marketing guy, kind of jumping corporate corporate job here to corporate job there. Uh, had my son. He's three and a half years old now. And just kind of realized it wasn't for me. You know, I just didn't like it. The corporate life, I didn't like living in a bigger city. So I moved my family here to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It's about 70,000 people, but it's very laid back, kind of small town Americana. There's kids on the side of the street selling lemonade. Like, it doesn't even make <laughs> sense. It's like Mayberry. It's, it's ridiculous. But, you know, the last three years or so, I've kind of started back up in some of my passions. And the one thing that kind of put me on the map was 
um, kind of getting into e-commerce and product sales. And I've done that in the kind of the outdoors niche. So I've been marketing for hunting, fishing, camping, hiking for the last three and a half years. And then I've kind of built out uh, the National Outdoors Association that goes along with that, and as well as kind of the internet marketing side, which is Kickslam Marketing. So I've been at it now for almost uh, three years, I would say, but really strong in the last, you know, three to four years, I've really been in this on my own. Man, that's awesome. And then uh, I, and when you and I had spoken, um, actually, you had a lot to share about niche selection and really dialing it in. And then for our business over here, I mean, it, it, it was night and day uh, right. for some of the results we were seeing. And it was amazing. Well, that's great. Well, that's that's uh, that's high praise. I'm I'm glad it worked. I was I remember being really excited, man. When like you were like, dude, we just like I used the one module and like we dialed it in and we started doing some crazy stuff. And that was really exciting for me because, um, you know, I've been doing this for a few years now, and it's nice to see you know when you try something and you do something for yourself. Um, I don't think it's it's as rewarding when you find the success yourself, when you see somebody else applying it, because it's kind of that inner nerd. It's like, oh, it's kind of like, gosh, if somebody else can use this, let's see what they can do. You know, I've got clients that have done uh, way better than me, even in e-commerce sales, you know, following my Facebook training. So, you know, it's exciting to watch other businesses and other people kind of use that material and actually, you know, apply it to what they're doing. And it can be so much different too. So that's, uh, I want to, Ask you really quickly, is that training still uh, up and accessible? Can people find that? You know what? I have nothing to sell. No, that sucker is not up. And you, you're one of the only people that got it, Arish. You're lucky. <laughs> I, put it, lucky to, I put it to use, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the cool thing is it's up, but I'm not pushing it anymore. And the reason why I'm not is because um, I kind of got sidetracked and I started doing some other marketing uh, with another marketer. And then I refocused back on my main business. So all of the, the great thing about courses like this is – you know, when you put eight hours of content, 50 plus videos together, um, you can really repurpose that for any vertical, any kind of market. So, you know, I've kind of used it as my, it's almost like a, a filing cabinet. It's all my best hits, you know, kind of sitting there. And when I need to use them in some kind of marketing application, it's like, well, hey, I've got this stuff already done and recorded. I can reassemble it and really repurpose it for, you know, whatever kind of market I'm hitting. In 10 years, you can uh, press them on vinyl and release it as a best of Brett. <laughs> something, like, something like that. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'll be honest. You know, the focus has really moved away, you know, at the beginning of this year, because I'm very seasonal, you know, and I'll tell everybody here, you know, I'm kind of in that outdoor niche. So for me, selling season is like right now. It starts now and it goes through like January. So really, you know, for me, it was like, how do I diversify what I do as a marketer? And it's like, well, all of these things apply to my market. And that's kind of where my course came around was Kickslam Marketing. And I kind of built that out really for the internet marketing niche to really help people out. And what I've realized is, you know, even when I'm trying to diversify in the off season, uh, it's kind of like just coming right back to that same niche I love. And I think that's why we should really talk about, you know, niches and, and what it can mean for your business over a 12 month period versus a six month period or a four month seasonal business. Because, you know, once you find a niche that you love and that you know there's money, um, there's really no reason to deviate. You can sit there for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's that it becomes a little bit more of the uh, the passion side versus the uh, let me just chase the, the almighty dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a cash grab world. You know, a lot of people see shiny things and they want to jump into a market that they know nothing about, but seems sexy. You know, like we we talk about uh, you know THC or like uh, cannabis oil or what is it called? Cannab yeah, uh, uh, CBD. Yeah. CBD. Yeah. 
like CBD. Yeah, sorry, I didn't know the acronym, but yeah, CBD. And like everybody is like, I got to get in on this. And that's cool. You know, it's always nice to test out marketing concepts in those kind of areas. But, you know, it really, in my like experience, if you don't know your market inside and out, and you're not passionate about it, um, you're just kind of chasing money. And you're trying to chase a market that you think might work for you. Uh, and you're probably just going to go right back to what your passion is and start making money there. I can testify to that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Brett, we, we talk about a lot of uh, stuff in like from the past to now. And, mm -hmm. and I'm really interested to knowing more about like what the kind of marketing that you did with the big box stores compared to our all the way to now. So like what have you seen that has changed? And then what do you see that still works to this day? Yeah, that's a really loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it has to go with, you know, when you're looking at these big companies, uh, it's a big wheel and it's really slow to turn. So when I first started kind of, you know, cutting my teeth in e-commerce and retail, it was like there was a very big focus on branding and like getting everything built around your brand. And the reason for that was because um, with the web kind of growing, people are starting to sell more direct. So a lot of these big companies are starting to realize that you don't have to go to brick and mortar stores to buy products. It's all going online. So they really wanted to focus on their kind of their brand, their messaging, because they want more customers um, as they see it kind of getting watered down in the e-commerce space. And that's probably the first thing that I saw. And then there's these really classic kind of marketing things like content marketing, copywriting, uh, SEO, like Google pay-per-click. Those were like really popular when it was really cheap to do so. And when you could see some kind of organic love on Google for like writing, like I used to be able to spin up an article and like get indexed on the first page of Google. Like it was easy, you know, you could literally backlink with a video and boom, you're like page one for a long tail keyword. Those kinds of things are getting tougher, I think, as not only like it moves from um, kind of traditional brick and mortar store to more online, but we also have different kind of like softwares have gotten better at Google, you know, like mm -hmm. things have gotten better in algorithms on Facebook. And it's just getting a lot tougher to market at a big company because that big wheel spins so slow. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, I didn't really become a Facebook marketer in my 12 years of working corporate until I started working for myself because I was already ahead of them uh, when I jumped out of it. And what you're usually doing in kind of a big corporate environment is you're kind of just doing what somebody thinks you should do. Somebody goes to a conference and said, we need to start writing content articles. We need to start doing you know more blogging. But you weren't really doing anything other than just kind of doing that for someone without being able to measure the results. Ah, yeah, the, the uh, measurable results thing. That's uh, so... Uh, God, that, that's, that's splitting my brain in several different directions. I, there's a bunch of questions I want to ask you now. But, um, that was a big question, buddy. That was, <laughs> that's a you. big, loaded question. Hey, that, that's, that's a big, a loaded answer. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's changed, man, a lot. Um, I think the biggest thing that's changed, though, is that, you know, I don't think big uh, companies change as fast as the individual. And I think now is the time for the individual to have um, just so many opportunities through softwares and marketing and different advertising platforms. This is the time to do it because um, the bigger guys are kind of falling asleep at the wheel. I'm seeing a lot of companies kind of in the outdoors that are refocusing their money instead of actually sponsoring people. Um, they're kind of uh, looking for more like influencers, Instagram influencers, people with big YouTube channels. So it is starting to change a little bit there. 
Uh, we just had a uh, we we mentioned yeah, a show that. About that yeah we just did a show with uh, Chris Delgado um, and he was oh, sure. yeah one of the guys who masterminded a lot of the the Grant Cardone 10x stuff you know for anyone out in the in yeah. in that niche who kind of knows what's up but um, as far as outdoors go and in your experience and kind of diving into that um, how fast was it before you kind of exited the corporate world and then started to zero in where you are now like did you deviate and kind of chase those shiny objects as well or no you know because here's the great thing i've been chasing shiny objects while i was working a full-time job you know so i've been taking my licks and my bumps and my education while i was working corporate because i mean realistically an entrepreneur it's an you're an entrepreneur you're born an entrepreneur you want to be that thing and when you're working for that paycheck uh you're always looking for a way out but you also like the security of a paycheck when you're working corporate so i had tons of failures while i was working corporate but once i really became invested in a community i moved my family here we bought a house i pretty much said it's now or nothing and really it took about I would say three months before I was already profitable running Facebook ads and product sales online. You hear that, California? That, that's what we all got to do. We all got to get out of here. Let's just abandon this and turn <laughs> it into like a John Carpenter movie. And then uh, just go someplace nice where you guys actually have real grass. Like uh, Escape from New York? Or yeah, anything? yeah. <laughs> but, but I'll be honest. Like, it was, it's a mindset thing, right? Because, I mean, I worked corporate for 10 years. So I'm learning, I'm educating, I'm failing, I'm doing all those things over a 10 year period. And what you see is, you know, a lot of people uh, will jump in and quit their job or they'll, you know, not bank on that paycheck and they're not ready and they'll try for a little bit and they'll run back scared to the job. And that's not a bad thing. You know, some people can, can do it. They can do the nine to five, they can do the corporate thing, they can deal with the politics. But, you know, that was a 10 year period of me really shaping and honing my skills at a marketer and much more so for myself than for the companies I actually worked for. So, you know, when I came out with confidence, um, you know, and really started doing and dive in on my own, um, I think I was just older, you know, more experienced, had, had seen more, had failed more. And I think that's the difference between, you know, kind of quick hit and just jumping out. And you can't say those 10 years were, you know, a waste of time. In fact, they probably got my head right to actually have success right away. Yeah, that mindset. Yeah. Yep. The weird thing is, and like you and I have talked about this before, it's it's the, one of the hardest things to teach to people. Like they got to go through it. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you can. You know, I see a lot of those courses, Arish, where it's like, you know, they'll they'll go on for like four days of mindset material. And like I think back to where I was at 22 when I was in internet marketing, and like I skipped over the mindset stuff and went straight to like, how do I drive traffic? Where, yeah. Where's the traffic coming from? Like I, everybody does that, and it's something that you don't really realize until you've kind of taken the licks and the bumps. And it's really tough um, to teach that to somebody in a course that's maybe four hours long. You almost that's need, true. you know, you need connection. Um, I see it a lot more with, uh, I see a lot more success working one on one. Um, when I'm consulting with people because you're on the phone and you're working with them through issues and you have them for an extended period of time, but really hard to teach mindset in a course. And even my course, the Kickstand marketing course, I think that mindset piece is like, that's just the nuts and bolts basics. This is, this is it. It's kind of like, uh, it was kind of like going through school. Like we all, we learned kind of, you know, we sat through history class, we sat through government and whatever, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you get to college and you find out, like, oh, it's all a lie. Like, you were wrong <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> it was all a lie. <laughs> so we talk about um, finding the niche. Mm-hmm. If someone who's uh, an entrepreneur, how should they, or how would you give advice to them about finding that niche? 
You know, and it's, it's not just an entrepreneur, it's anybody. I think, you know, a lot of people make it seem harder than it should be. But like the easiest way to like start is to actually think, I mean, cut out the BS, stop chasing the, chasing the CBD oil, stop chasing markets and really think about your passion. And I talked about this with Arish before and I called it like a recurring theme marketing or like revolving theme. Mm-hmm. We all have that one passion that keeps popping up. And as a marketer, it's like you can stray off and see that shiny object and be like, oh, man, CBD's picking up or, oh, man, Instagram marketing's picking up. And you can start thinking about all these really shiny markets that people are chasing. But in like the down times or even like the times when you're not thinking about that, there's typically a niche that you love. And it could be something like a sport or it could be something nerdy like Bigfoot. Like I think Bigfoot is an unbelievable product niche. I think anybody could take Bigfoot right now and start making a huge private label business out of it tomorrow. Hmm. You know, and it's really those passionate things that you don't have to be an entrepreneur to do it. You just have to really look inside and start thinking, am I gonna chase a market? Am I gonna cash grab? Or am I gonna like really focus on something that I love? Yeah, I'm thinking, as you yeah. mentioned the Bigfoot, um, is that, so out here we have the, the Santa Cruz mystery spot. And it's one of those, uh, you know, ball rolls uphill type of places, right? No one knows how it happens. No, you know what? That's actually I, I, I learned what, how that works. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, this concept, I've been challenged on this a lot. So the idea of gravity is not about up or down. It's that the object with the more mass has more gravity. So the idea is that there's all this like crap in the ground underneath there that is more massive than everything around it. Um, and so the ball rolls uphill as it has its own gravity and the polarity, which is it's kind of like the same reason why a bathtub full of ice is hotter than a burning match. Right. You got to wrap your head around. Yeah, that one. Right. Yeah. Wow. I'll, I'll dive in. Rick. That's that's a thing. Like because, you know, you look at the idea of the heat transfer. I'm going to be a nerd for a second. And mm-hmm. heat is the measure of the energy that can exchange. Uh, so in a burning match, um, you know, if you're outside on a 100 degree day, there's not much delta between the heat of the match and the air around you. But in a bathtub full of ice versus a human body, that's a right. big delta to cover. So hey, therefore, dry ice is hot. Dry <laughs> ice is hot. There you go. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's actually hot. That'll burn you. Yeah. That'll burn you. But so, yeah, I, I, I like that. Like finding the uh, – well, going back to finding the, the niche and, and just doing stuff you love because I noticed uh, last decade there were a lot of businesses that popped up that I never thought would come about. Actually, I think it was all the way to the, the 90s. Like just random stuff like, oh, here's a, here's a cereal bar. Here's a cupcake store. Here's right. a uh, yogurt shop. You know, just it's like, really? Like, <laughs> it was that simple? <laughs> well, and that's, and uh, I, that's, that's the a, That's very know? astute to think that way because, you know, I look at some markets too even now that I'm not involved in and they seem so small, right? Like it, it doesn't seem like there's much pull there. But I think we're so consumerized kind of in our culture in America here especially. We are just like conditioned to buy so many things. Like yep. it runs on consumerism that like we don't realize – how many different like markets that we don't think could exist actually exist. Like yeah. mm-hmm. I have in my, my course, I said like, don't look for penguin hats, you know, like don't sell hats <laughs> to penguins. But <laughs> reality is, it's like, I bet you if you want to have a million dollar business, you could make hats for penguins. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're like that as a society. There's so many niches that we're so small. And I think 
you know, they used to be at control of only, you know, kind of big corporate companies that could have access to the distribution, the manufacturers and things like that. But it's, it's a global market now. All of us can get products from overseas. All of us can make our own products and sell them on Etsy. There's a lot of undiscovered markets that are very, would seem really small that are actually probably big and they're just, they're just sitting there for people to take it over. You know, there's a guy out here in San Francisco. Uh, he used to work at a bar called uh, The End Up. And The End Up is, is kind of like, eh, it's, it's got its history, right? It's kind of semi-famous out here. And there's a bouncer named Birdman. Oh, this is what everybody calls him. So he was called that because he had this parrot, right? And people hear the story. They go, yeah, no way. And you're like, got to remember parrots, what are these things? They live for like 70 years. Hmm. So Birdman is still around. He's semi-homeless. And he actually has items for the bird, like, Bird's got shoes. The bird's got hoodies. Yeah. Uh, and he, if, if Birdman is in the right state of mind, if you catch him, you can actually just take a picture with this, like, this bird with all this swag. And st- it's, it's like this thing, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love but, it. Yeah. There's, there's, so somebody out there is making clothing for parrots. And right. like, that's, that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> so, and if I remember this, I do want to get back into the course and I kind of want to screenshot um, those niches that you had recommended and then that you also told people to stay away from. Um, right, right. You know, as a little backstory, I mean, um, I do most of my marketing with Facebook and you know that, Arish. I do a lot of paid Facebook advertising and there's a lot of markets that, you know, I see a lot of people jumping into right away and it's not necessarily a passion market that's theirs, but they just think it's going to be good, right? So it'd be like, man, pets, Pets is a great market. And, you know, I know from my experience with Facebook ads that it's a very saturated market that's already matured, that already is established, that has tons of pet products and a lot of people selling the same products. And I think some of those really evergreen kind of big markets are kind of like, I stay away from those always. Like, I don't want anything to do with pet products. I'll never sell a pet product again. But I'll tell you, like, Five out of 10 people, like when they're talking about finding a niche, the first thing they think is like, oh, pets. People are passionate about pets, right? Like there's tons of people that buy stuff for their pets. I just, you can't stay competitive in an online advertising environment with some of these evergreen uh, kind of niches because they've kind of been matured, you know, especially in like the Facebook ads platform. At the risk of bloodying up some of these waters, uh, so to say, is there is there a niche that you have looked at and said, you know, that like... <clears throat> that's a winner for now, you know, that we could ripple out. Well, I think, I think a lot of like the, the advertising for me, um, when it comes to Facebook marketing is that women's products do really well online. They always have, they're great shoppers. They buy more than one. Um, I don't think the home and the kitchen and garden is ever going away. You know, it's one of those things where we still see infomercials for kitchen gadgets all the time. And it's just (laughs) one of those markets that, you know, I I know people that doesn't matter what they do. If there's a new gadget that comes out in kitchen, they're going to buy it. You know, so I think it's always Mm -hmm. at home, kitchen and garden. I always think those are going to be hot. I really do. Does anybody remember the name that guy who used to sell sell the, uh, the sham wow? No, 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 no. I'm not sure. Like, didn't they have to replace? Like, who is the dude that, like, oh, gosh. I, I mean, he passed away. Yeah, what, there was did, a guy oh, who did the OxyClean. Yeah, oh, the OxyClean. Guy? Yeah. What that was guy, his like, name? I feel so awful not knowing it. Yeah, I know, right? I like, it was the, it was in the front of our yeah, minds all the time. He was, a, but, yeah, he was famous, though. Yeah, I mean, it's that's... Like Billy something, I swear. Billy. It's, the only thing in my head is, is that it's nowhere close. I keep... I keep Reverting to Billy Joel Osmond. I don't know why. <laughs> I keep thinking Billy Zane. Um, 
Yes. Hi everybody, it's Billy. Uh, <laughs> you know, Billy. there's a South Park episode about it, man. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Billy Mays was that yeah. it? Billy, Billy Mays. Mays. Billy, Mays. Billy Mays. Mays. I think that was it. Right. Hi everybody, Billy Mays here. That's yeah. right. That's right. right. <laughs> I think that was it. Uh, oh yes. Go. Oh. Oh no, I was gonna, I was just gonna say you know I think there's always going to be room in the kitchen, that kind of home and garden. And the other one I always like that I think is always undervalued is the arts and the, the crafts and the hobby space, like the hobby space. So like, I'm talking like, you know, the super nerdy stuff that, that people don't think about. And those are kind of untapped because they seem so specific to the individual, but those markets are always bigger than you think. Like there are so many people that still do like scrapbooking for example or painting or acrylics these are kind of those products that like people take a look and they're like you know it's not for me like oh uh you know a young 20 something you know kid's not going to buy a needle point set but there's still a huge market in that kind of crafts and hobby market and it's not just you know kind of the arts and crafts that you'd expect from like a hobby lobby or a michael's um but really some of those obscure kind of hobby markets those ones have always been kind of set alone and there's not a lot of competition because i think if you're that nerdy and that into it there's not enough people that would run a business based on those products does that make sense yeah totally does it yeah. really does yeah. sometimes it, so, yeah that, i mean that's why i said bigfoot it's like <laughs> um what's the foremost bigfoot website that you guys know but like literally there isn't one but there's like you know there's been board games over the year there's been action figures there's been t-shirts there's been all this stuff Harry there Harry is nothing saying you could just jump right in if that was your passion and start running some really bad ass gear you could would be hard <laughs> i love the idea of that is it <laughs> is it possible to niche down too much no no that's the great thing like you don't have an idea of how small like i thought my niches were like smaller you know and like you start jumping in you start advertising and with the ability to kind of advertise with data you start realizing how big they are you know like you have kind of this preconceived notion that what you're doing is maybe smaller than it really is um but when it comes to the online space you're just you have so much more opportunity to reach even more people and i think some of these ones that seem small you can open them wide open when you start getting in some of these advertising platforms and they're much bigger than you think in regards to digital marketing and this is mm -hmm. not a loaded question but <laughs> <laughs> but i go on the linkedin and I, and i and i if if i were to look up marketers there's like everybody's a digital marketer these right. days yeah, yeah. you know it's just like oh gosh like okay oh. what exactly do you mean by digital marketing so i guess my questions to you is just i just want to get your like take on just overall like where its current status is uh where do you think it's going right well you know i i think that's always been the toughest thing for me is i even put that kind of title on myself you know even starting out as digital marketer and you know i did a lot of copywriting you know and i think a lot of big companies are trying to fill these positions and i think the the, the saddest thing that i see um, as like digital marketing professional is that that can be anything from being able to write a blog post yeah. to like being able to post on social media twice a day. And I think as it, it like relates to like a larger corporate environment, um, digital marketers are kind of low on the totem pole. 
You know, like if you look up and down, you've got executive staffs, you've got board of directors, you've got managers, um, kind of that, like the digital marketing space is kind of the lower part of the totem pole. So you, you do see a lot of people with the title that literally don't have any practical or applicable experience. And when they're looking for work, you know, they're starting out at very low salaries. So it is kind of one of those things where it's like, is anybody or is everybody a digital marketer? It seems like it. You know what I mean? I made $2 by my course. (laughs) Right, right. It really does. And, you know, I I think it it really goes down to, you know, the people that I see that aren't posting that they're a digital marketer or LinkedIn are probably the real marketers. You know what I mean? Like, like they're, they're, they're literally not, they're working for themselves. Like the real A players in, in marketing are not working for somebody else. Because if you could print money, um, if you could, you know, increase the revenue of, you know, five, 10, $20 million just by your marketing prowess. Why won't you do it for yourself? That's always my idea. anyway. Yeah. I figured it probably just comes back uh, to answer a rhetorical question. Actually, is that fear, you know, again, that mindset, the, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's like clinging to the life raft where, all right, so you might have some 50 foot water underneath you, but you're like 20 feet from shore. If you want to just, you know, bridge mm-hmm. that and, and be safe. Right. Well, and, and I will tell you this, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that, I was into like internet marketing when I was like 14. Like I came up during like the, the internet America online boom. So I was in it when at a very young age, I was reading long sales letters and things when I was like, you know, between 12 and 14 years old. Like I was reading Frank Kern stuff like way long before I even got a job or even went to college. And, you know, really when it comes down to kind of what you're doing in a, like a corporate place is, you don't really do the kind of marketing that you want because there's so much red tape. You know, there's always a manager that says you should do it a certain way. I didn't actually become a marketer until I started doing it on my own, even with my awesome resume and experience, because if you wanted to try something or you wanted to change or you wanted to innovate from within, there were seven people telling you not to do it or that you couldn't do it or that we should do this instead. And it's a really tough position to be in as a marketer because there are a lot of skilled people that work at corporate companies that are basically being kind of, you know, patted on the back and saying, well, you know, you can't, you can't change that logo, or we should change this, the way that this looks, and and you're getting expertise from kind of egos, and kind of, you know, red tape, and less from the actual talent that might exist there. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to dive into that one too much further, because I'll, I'll, at the risk of like pissing off way too many of the, of the wrong people. <laughs> definitely <laughs> well, sorry, have seen that it. before. But I mean, you know, you know, that decision-making process gets uh, completely diluted and at some point just buried because you have the mm-hmm. people who are, you know, they're in charge, um, but right. they're not they're not really like in the trenches. And right. um, I've, I've come across several different people who maybe they read something or they saw something online um, and, you know, it, maybe they paid a couple of bucks for a small download or something, and then suddenly they go and, and try to make that um, the, thing. the thing. Yeah, versus, yep. you know, somebody who's got uh, 5, 10, 12, 15 years of marketing experience and has, you know, been in the trenches. Right, right. And you run into that, you know, at the agency level. I've worked at agencies for a long time, and, you know, uh, somebody's paying, you know, 50 or 150 grand for a website, you know, for some of these bigger companies. And, of course, they want to have, you know, some influence of how it looks. They're paying good money for that. Um, But at the end of the day, you see a lot of people that are great at uh, these kind of digital skill sets, whether it be coding or programming or graphic designing, and they do have to bend a little bit at the will of, you know, paying customers, clients, and then, you know, when you're in a corporate environment, also for, you know, managers, bosses. So, you know, I think 
that's really the tough thing uh, for, you know, kind of people that are in the digital space is that they do have creativity. They do have a skill set and a knowledge base, but sometimes it gets watered down by, you know, politics and just the way that kind of it's set up, you know, and that's, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, um, usually projects can still turn out okay. And they very rarely just fall apart, but um, it's definitely something that's a reality for anybody in the kind of digital space is that there's going to be somebody telling you how to do your job. And that can lead to some failures. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, oh, yeah. um, what, as, and we're going to, I'm not going to take too much of your time. I know you want to get back to your family, right? But uh, what have been, uh, both in the corporate world and, and for yourself, some of your biggest failures? No. Um, you know, it's tough. It's tough for me to think about it because uh, the first thing that Rob, it was probably my biggest failure um, in the moment, but it actually turned out to be my biggest success was when I moved my family and I was really at the tail end of like doing the corporate thing. I actually got offered a senior UX position at Best Buy and they were trying to hire for it for eight months. And I came back home to my family and I was like, we've got to get out of here. So I moved to Eau Claire, bought a home, took a job as a marketing manager, got fired in 60 days. And I thought it was probably, in my experience, the biggest failure ever. I've never been fired from a job. I was the guy they hired to be the hit man. I come in there and I just kill it. That's what I did. So losing my job in 60 days here in Eau Claire was pretty much like the scariest thing in the world for me. But it turned out to be my greatest success because, like I said, three months later, I was already rocking on e-commerce. And I've been an entrepreneur ever since. So that was probably the moment in my life where I thought it was a total failure, but it turned out to be one of the greatest things. So, you know, failures now I eat them for breakfast. It's like Wheaties and bring it on. That means I'm moving fast. It means I'm making, um, you know, smart, but stupid decisions. You know, it's kind of a yin and yang thing. You can't have the success without the failure. So, um, that's pretty much my whole summary of the last three years. You know, it was thinking something was like the worst thing ever, but you can't discount those bad things that happen because they make you who you are now. And that's good for someone coming up who's trying to learn marketing and get into marketing is to basically like cut your teeth. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you got to learn and, and, and you're going to fail, but you're going to learn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're going to fail and you're going to get scared and you're going to want to jump back into the world that you were in. And you're going to want to, you're going to have a low bank account. You know, those things are normal, especially in entrepreneurship. You know, you have to remember that, you know, I don't know what percentages there are, but like 90 plus percent of this world works for somebody else you know so as an entrepreneur you just have to know it's part of it it's it's part of it to take your licks it's part of it to get slapped around the part that you know separates the entrepreneur from somebody else is they get back up and they get right on the bike again and they ride it until the tire goes out again and they fix it you know resilience that that is the one thing that i found has, has set people apart you know it's not so much their chops it's not who they know it's not how much money they have you know it's it's that resilience factor that um i'm sure there's probably some kind of book out there i don't know that's big difference, by the way. You're reading marketing books uh, when you know AOL, and I'm going to Blockbuster, and and I was just frisbeeing those free discs. You know? <laughs> but but uh, but uh, on the on the serious note, though, that resilience I feel is probably what sets people like you apart from people who you know they try, they set they set out with the best intentions and the, like mm-hmm. most gusto, and they fail and quit. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and fear. Fear is a big, a big piece of it, and it all goes back to mindset. You know, it's being able to have that resiliency to just get knocked around. And now, like when I have a failure, now I used to like dwell on it. Now, when it's like I fail at something, it's like, oh, I'm going somewhere now. I got through it faster. Um, recently, had a partnership that failed, and you know, it actually led to better things in my business now. So you just have to know that even when those things seem down, and you're working hard towards something, if it doesn't go your way. It's just getting right back on and doing something else. It usually leads to something else when your head's right. Ah, that is beautiful. That's that's yeah. awesome. Well, man, Brett, thanks again for taking the time out. Um, real fast for, for listeners, uh, this is not marketing related, but what was that you said about chicken earlier during our pre-call? No, I was curious if anybody's heard of broasted chicken. Broasted chicken. Broasted. This is a thing in the Midwest. You ever heard of broasted chicken? Broasted no, chicken. no, I never heard of that. Okay, so I mean, I don't know the secrets. I wish I did. But broasted chicken is essentially, it's like, uh, you know how like uh, Chick-fil-A, they do their, their fried, like, it's different. What is it, like air fried? It's not air fried, but it's not deep fried chicken. I don't know. What is it called? I know. <laughs> but it's, all, it's a pressure cooked fried chicken is what it is, except for it's a really super light batter. We do this in Wisconsin and we have a bad food culture here. We eat like Campbell's soup. We have like hot dish, which is like basically take a bunch of Campbell's soup and put it over uh, tater tots. And you're like, Oh, it's so good, but it's not, it's garbage food. It's, it's like the worst, it's the worst place to eat in the country, but we do something called roasted chicken. And I was curious if you guys have heard of it or if anybody else listening has heard of it because it's amazing. The only it's, thing I've it's heard one of... of the best ways to eat chicken. The only thing I've heard, of that was very interesting when it comes to the midwest and food was that mm-hmm. everything gets fried like there's like fried twinkies fried bacon <laughs> like fried the minnesota fried state turkeys. fair Turkey. probably does like yeah all the fried the deep fried stuff <laughs> i mean we walk a little bit bigger here we're a little, we're big people you know like i look around and i'm six three and i'm like gosh i'm short like i don't know why there's so many tall people here and we're all we're all tall and we all weigh like 250 pounds it's insanity and it's That's probably crazy. partially from the deep fried food and i think there's a lot of people from that kind of scandinavia like kind of germany kind of area and you know i mean wisconsin is very rural you know as a state it's outside of the city centers there's no diversity so it's just a bunch of tall freaking fat dudes like me <laughs> <laughs> we're everywhere eating our deep fried twinkies Yes. <laughs> that actually sounds really good right now. But all right, with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap this up. Dude, your insight has been awesome. Uh, if I can remember, uh, I hope Gino will hold me accountable for this. I do want to take a screenshot from your course. Um, oh, yeah. How can yeah. they find out, out about the course? Oh, the course is not, uh, Brett mentioned, it's not, not offered now. I still got a link. Um, right. It's it's offered. It's just on the down low. It's like super secret at this point. Like I, I don't I don't promote it at all because it's just like I just I love the material in this course and it's everything that I've done to kind of find success in my business. So I don't push it because I'm still focused on my niche business. I'm still focused on running the company that I run. So just kind of hanging out. Just hanging out. Is there is there um, is there a way that uh, anybody listening can uh, get in hold of you? Yeah, there is. I mean, if Eris wants to share the link, I'm totally cool with that. You know, I'm not a hard sell guy. So, I mean, if you want to learn how to do e-commerce A to Z with Facebook marketing and you want to learn everything that I do in e-commerce, it's all in this eight-hour course. It's about 50 50 videos and modules, and it's step-by-step. So, it's had great feedback. I've got a lot of people that have had success with it, but I quite
quite literally don't even sell it. Okay. <laughs> like hard. It's pretty downplayed. There's there's like this ninja technique for Facebook ads that's tucked away in there. Um, I had no idea you could do that. I don't know if you can still do that with the changes that Facebook made recently, but dude, could, yeah, that, is, that is some sniper rifle stuff. <laughs> it's it super really secret is. nerd marketing stuff. So it, oh my god. Cool. So yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll be happy to share that out and you know hey. Um, it's a win-win for everybody. If, if people are online and they're in that realm and they're doing uh, ads, especially on Facebook, um, yeah. I, for one, have gone through your course, not the whole thing, because uh, shiny optic syndrome, but uh, the parts that I did go through, amazing, amazing, tons of value in there. Appreciate it, yeah. A lot All of right, work cool. went into that. It's about 10 years of work and then six months of real application, you know. So I think that's the thing about the course, you know, the courses that you see online now is there's so many people selling courses and they're good teachers and there's bad teachers, but so very few are actually making their money from the business that they're teaching and they're making their money from the, co- the courses that they're they're teaching or selling. So, you know, I'm kind of the, the reverse. I'd rather stay as a, a nerd and do the marketing and actually put in the work than, than sell courses. I appreciate that, Brett. Thank you. Well, uh, in that case, brother, stay nerdy because we, we definitely are. Uh, and <laughs> the sound of the vacuuming, we're here in our office as we do this. That's usually our cue to uh, get out of the building. So. <laughs> Wrapping up. Well, I appreciate your time, guys. Thanks for hey, having Brett. me. Yeah, Eris Gino has been awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you again for joining us. And uh, everybody listening, these are your ad heroes, Ayers Rivers. And I'm Jim Giovanni. Signing off. You've been listening to another episode of the Ad Hero Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend, family member, or a weird coworker down the hallway. We're easy to reach if you want to get in touch with us on social media at Handle Ad Assemble. That's A-D-S-E-M-B-L-E. Also, you can join our Ad Hero community on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Ad Hero. Want to advertise big and build massive brand authority at the same time? It's easier than you think. Open Display by AdSymbol lets you advertise on digital billboards nationwide. Just go to OpenDisplay.com for a free account to get started.